Hello, Dog Days people, and welcome back to another episode with Ian McKenzie and myself. Um, this is a really good episode. We, we spoke to Warren Shute, who is a, a financial planner. Um, a, I mean, thank you so much to Warren for being so patient after putting, I think, 13 different takes to make this happen. Uh, and, and a massive thank you to Sam Roberts for making it happen as well, who is our wonderful sound engineer. Um, but this is really interesting. We, we spoke a lot about how to financially plan. I know that the, the topic of saving is normally quite boring and Warren does an amazing job in making it sound almost enjoyable and fun, um, but actually really achievable too. So we spoke about that. We spoke a lot about economic climate, how this could be a really big opportunity for entrepreneurs and anybody that's looking to start or create anything right now. Um, we spoke about NLP, our favorite thing. Uh, this is our third, I think, or fourth guest now that's had some sort of training in NLP. Uh, and what I like about Warren's approach is that he kind of he speaks a lot about blending NLP into how he does financial planning and you know focusing things around goal setting and why you'd set a goal. And we dig a bit deeper than just your typical uh, financial planning conversation because Ian and I aren't exactly financially planned. <laughs> anyway, I do hope you enjoy it. Thanks again, Warren, for the patience. There might be a few technical glitches um because we did the recording on zoom um but are trying and have you know so much thanks and gratitude to sam for making it sound as it does enjoy this is the dog days with ollie scott junior l style and ian mckenzie these are the dog days it's not a Okay, hello, hello, uh, and welcome. I'm going to say welcome back to uh, to everyone here. We just had a mini technical glitch here, but um, we are we are joined audio only uh, by the the wonderful man that is Warren Shoot. Warren, how are you, mate? You okay? I'm good. I'm good. The sun is shining, and uh, I'm sat here talking to you both, uh, wonderful podcast interviewers. So um, yeah, <laughs> looking forward to this. That's very kind of you, sir. Thank you. Um, and, and just to give you some background um, to the listeners here, uh, I've not actually mentioned, Ian, before we, before we restarted this, um, you are aware that Warren is NLP trained. Not only is he a financial planner, a, a decorated, certified financial planner of the year, but also trained in NLP. And Ian, you've got an apparatus on your hand. What, what is that, mate? Ollie, you're the only one out of the three of us that aren't trained in NLP, just to let you know. I, I'm, now, I'm, uh, I'm now a seasoned pro. I've, I've, I've got a, I'm, I, this is one of the finest NLP techniques, but essentially um, I've got a rubber band on my arm and every time a negative four enters my head, and there's been a few in the last five minutes as we've, we've had connection <laughs> issues, um, I, I just spring the rubber band back and it, and it hits my wrist and I replace those thoughts with positivity. And that's why we're here today. We're, we're re-recording audio only, um, and it's going to be better than it would have been if we started 10 minutes ago. 100%. And Warren, so you're, you're here today, I guess. Um, I always like to try and invite guests on that I've come across organically and that kind of thing. And uh, the way that we heard about you and, and the book that you've written, The Money Plan, um, was through a good friend and also my, my housemate, Harry Quinn, um, who couldn't stop going on about how much money he'd saved after going through quite a, a tough time financially, putting himself out of debt and that kind of thing. So I think... I wanted to speak a lot about, you know, the origin of, of that book and where that came from. Um, and then secondly, speaking a bit more about now and where we are, you know, we're week four, I think, of lockdown. Um, people would have been going into this period uh, either with losing jobs or, or even already with existing financial um, pressure or, or even debt. So I think it'd be really good to kind of cover where we are now. And then lastly, I guess, 
uh, and e economically getting an understanding about where we are, but equally understanding what the potential opportunity could be. Um, this is a tough time for a lot of people, but also it can be an opportunistic moment. So I, I guess I wanted to start really by asking, wh how did you come around um, into financial planning? And also, wh which problems did you sort of set out to solve originally, if we can? I don't think I ever set out to solve a problem. I set out to help people. Um, I came. I, I originally trained as an accountant back in 1995. I trained as an accountant, and I got to say, I did not get on with accountancy because it was so retrospective. You'd look at some information which was out of date by the time you presented it to the client, and I couldn't really see the value in it. And then I just kind of was introduced to financial planning, is what I understood it as then, and and I just saw the changes these planners had on these individuals' lives, helping them to secure purchases of property, helping them to retire early, giving them financial freedom, giving them reassurance. Um, and that really inspired me, gave me uh, excitement, if I'm honest, to pursue a career in financial planning. And it just so happens, coincidentally, at the same time, I just started studying NLP through interest through a passion, really. I thought, oh, okay, I'll try that. I'll give that a go. One of those things that was an off-the-cuff decision, I'll just give it a go, and has developed into um, uh, another career for me, really, if I'd say. How does that, how does that work within... Uh, have you sort of used NLP within financial planning for some of your clients, or is that just a thing on the side for communication purposes and growing a business? So I think you learn NLP and you keep it outside of you and it's something you just pick up and put down whenever you decide to or it's something that you are and it is within you completely. And NLP basically, for those who don't know, NLP is the um, science of communication and the longest conversation you'll ever have is with yourself. So it's the science of communication with yourself and with others. So if you imagine, I not so much now, but I was seeing maybe five people a week um, every time you sit in front of somebody, they're different. So you need to be able to build rapport with them pretty quickly and then really get to understand them and see what find out what they're really like. Um, and as your career develops, then it's a case of, actually, do I want this person in my life for the rest of my life or the rest of my career? So you really, mm. NLP enables you to really communicate with people at a level where you get to know them, find out what they're really like. Um, so your question is, do I do it separately? Do I integrate it? It's me. It's what I do. It's um, it's what I integrate within my firm. So yeah, I use it with clients. And I imagine Ian, you're probably itching to understand about, I guess, practicality, and if we can understand it on a bit of a local level. Could you give us an example as to how it's helped you? Let's say like, you know, the spread of our listeners are everything from successful entrepreneurs to people that are setting out to be entrepreneurs all the way through to people that are just working, you know, Monday to Friday, normal, normal jobs. Some could be in, you yeah. know, um, more financial pressure than others. How is there like a one size fits all approach to these kind of people or do you change it? Uh, the, the, with my financial planning, there's, there's one process. And, and this is what's interesting. So right now we're doing so many media interviews, whether it's on the radio or TV and stuff, of just trying to get people to understand that financial planning is financial planning. It's not adapted to the circumstance. Some of the intricacies, some of the finite decisions, but the money plan that I wrote um, a couple of years ago is the process that I've been using with my clients broadly since 1995. So it's the process. It, it developed over time. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't using the four or five steps on day one. But it's the process of financial planning that is um, evergreen. It just goes through, it's consistent. So 
right now, coming up with something like the money plan and going through those five steps is crucial, I would say, for people, particularly if you're in an unstable sort of financial situation. It's worrying times for so many people out there. I just want to add, I think, um, I don't know where I saw this. I saw this in, in a video. Someone was speculating. I think it might have even been a, a Gary Vaynerchuk video, but he made a good point. I think this time right now has exposed uh, a lot of people to the need to to put money away and, and you know, that phrase, save save it for a rainy day. I think, you know, yeah. these are the rainy days. And I think, um, yeah. you know, services like yours, education that you provide, it, it's definitely something that we all need to get better at. I think... Um, you know, it's in in your twenties, and you know this probably carries on outside of your twenties. But I think we're all a lot of us are guilty for for blowing quite a lot of money on a Friday night. You know, as soon as you've had a few pints, uh, money just becomes like monopoly money, and you and you're not able to yeah. really track it. And and um, it's definitely this has definitely alerted me to. I've I've had a, an inclination, not an inclination. I've had a, a frustration with money saving a lot of the time. I've always known that it's, I'm not very good at. It, I want to get better at it, but I just feel like yeah, I've, I've had a poor financial education my whole life, and I feel like this podcast is a good a good way to start. Um, and and even this time, the fact that I can't blow my money on a night out and and do all those kind of things, the only thing I can really blow it on is Amazon, and um, <laughs> I've done quite well doing that. So I feel yeah, th- th- this is a great time for a lot of people okay. to to really consider their sort of financial literacy and, and know where to start. You're absolutely right. What you just said is absolutely right. We're creatures of habit, okay? So we're habitual human beings. And that wristband that you're carrying requires you to have a conscious decision to flick it. So you have a negative thought or a, a habit that you're not happy. You have to make a con- You have to break your state to do that. That's really hard to do. And that's why something like that may not succeed long-term Because in the moment, you're not thinking about flicking that wristband. You're just caught up in your thought process. And that's the same being out on a a big night out. On a big night out, you're not thinking, actually, tomorrow morning, I'd like to go and pay some of my debt down and invest some money in Amazon shares. You're just thinking, hey, let's just get another round in. Let's have a great night. Let's just enjoy ourselves. Who cares? I'll worry about that tomorrow. So what you need to do is you need to protect yourself from yourself. And that's why we use the bank account system and we have this uh, banking structure whereby you just give yourself basically an allowance, a fixed amount of money so that when it's gone, it's gone. There is no more money there to take out the pot. And then that's when you say, hey, look, I've got to go home because I have no more money to party with. Is that part of the process? Because I remember reading some of the book, um, you mentioned this kind of aha moment. You try and get people to a point where they can go, Okay, right. Um, I, I really want. I want to do this because I think, like dieting and like a lot of the things that we speak about to try and make more um, uh, less complex, it, it is you have to have a want to do it and you have to have a yeah. kind of an excitement yeah. around it. How, how do you tackle that when people are like, "But I don't want to"? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Okay, so if you don't want to do something, um, you're never ever going to do it. Okay, and, and, and that that's really true. So to get someone to want to do it. To, to get them over that hurdle of actually negativity or not willingness to do it is, is to create it so compelling to create the, the alternative so bright, so beautiful, so attractive to move. You want to move towards it as opposed to being moving away from it. And that's step one of the money plan. Step one of the money planning is, is what's your outcome. So the money plan is split into five steps. And I, it's true as I'm telling you, I, I sit in my office here pre-corona crisis, a client would come in, I would sit down and you have all the niceties and you would, I would ask them, tell me, how do you want to live the rest of your life? And I would just silence. 
And bear in mind, I could have um, you know, big accountants, business owners, surgeons, GPs, engineers, logical thinking individuals. They look at me and think, is this like counseling? What's going on? But if I don't know how they want to live the rest of their life, if I don't know what really juices them to get up in the morning, to go out to work and go and contribute and do these different things, how can I help them? They don't want a pension. They don't want some life assurance. What they want is the ability to finish working on this project or whatever earlier than they anticipated. They might want to have more disposable money so they can enjoy certain things in their life. And they might want to know that, well, actually, if something terrible happens to me, those people I care about, I leave behind, are cared for financially. So step one of the money plan is really where any good financial planner, any good coach will start with saying, hey, what do you want? What is the future like? What's your compelling vision? What we do is we create a future image of themselves, of what it is they want to live like. What is it? You know, do you have a house? Do you have a family? Um, I've even sat down with a client once before and I've said to her, I will not see you again unless you stop buying houses and start dating. Because what she <laughs> wanted, what she wanted, she wanted, her, her words to me were, Warren, what, what I really, really want is I want someone to cuddle up to on the sofa. I want someone to cuddle up to on the sofa and watch a movie with. Mm. And I said, well, why do you buy more, more property? This lady used to buy property as if they were like, I don't know, takeaway pizza. Um, <laughs> very successful lady, very, very wealthy, but she wasn't fulfilled. And that's what a good financial that's what a good coach does for you. They find out what it is you really, really want in life. What is it you really want? And then the decisions you make consistently over time, not every single decision you make, but the ones you make consistently over time take you closer towards the things you want and further away from things you don't want. How, how do you think that applies in today's society looking at the people coming through? Because I think we're going to see lots of different things now. You know, even if you just put humanity under the microscope that, that it is at the moment, people are realizing that they're not made up by their material uh, yeah. possessions. And they're very much, you know, saying, I want to have experiences and things. So how does, I, I imagine we're going to see a trend of people that say, money is access or a key to the freedom I want to have, but the freedom I want to have doesn't have to be uh, multiple houses and, you know, on the French Riviera <laughs> or whatever you're looking forward to. So are you, are you, A, are you spotting any trends from the younger generation coming through trying to financially plan? And B, how are you approaching that? I think um, the younger generations generally are more attuned with lifestyle and what they want out of life as opposed to just work and career. They are work and career minded. I'm not taking that away from them, but they're very much more holistic. They're more open minded saying, actually, not. I don't want to work for that company for 20 years or 25 years or even 40 years. You know, I want to have these experiences in life. Um, but I think what we're finding in this circumstances, in this circumstance, are the more mature generation look at this and saying, actually, what? my friends just you know, got ill or died. And geez, there's so much more I want to do with my life. Is this what life's going to be? And for some people, it's they're at home, they're thinking, oh, my God, is this what retirement's going to be like if I'm poor? Because that's what it will be like. Yeah. You know, if you if you are on a budget in retirement, man, it's called lockdown. And that's going to be a nightmare. So that's why you need financial resources behind you. But you also need the opportunity to say, hey, how do I want to live the rest of my life? What is it I want to do? So, OK, if I if I kind of pick out step step one, and we, we I agree with you that, you know, my... 
my goal is to have uh, lots of experiences. I think traveling is really important. It is to me and I think it is to a lot of people now and seeing yeah. new things. So I want to be able yeah. to have enough liquid cash to spend to do that. Um, but I also want to have enough tucked away. So I do have a pension or, or I can live off something in the end. And I, and I feel yeah. like property would be quite a good investment as well. What would, what would step two generally be? Step one is just like you said, let's clarify the outcome. What's it look like? Okay, yeah. and then, then start probing away, questioning that. And that's why it's good to work with a coach to really challenge you on your decisions. And then step two is get financially well organized. And I give this an analogy of like running in mud. When, when your desk's untidy, when everything's all over the place and you don't know what's going on, it's just harder to get things done, isn't it? And I just think sometimes mm. when things are nice and tidy, nice and organized, not perfect, but you know where things are and you have a plan to work towards, things are so much easier. And that's why we do the financial organization. So we, do, we get financially well organized. And um, part of the financially well organized is the bank account system that I just mentioned um, that we, we put in place for people. We have a system for pocket money. Um, we just get people to have some kind of control over their money. Mm. Could you... Go- just give a bit more of an explanation on that bank account system and, and the budgeting mm. methods that yeah. you that you teach. Okay, sure. So, um, but firstly, I, I want to say people don't like budgets, okay? Because people don't like diets, do they? Come on, nobody, nobody mm. in their right mind, apart from those people on stage, like a diet. And I don't even think they like a diet. They just like the result that comes <laughs> from it. Okay, and people don't like uh, budget. People don't like budgets either. Okay, but we do need to have some control over what we consume in calories um, if we want to be able to walk on the beach feel confident. And we also have to have some control over our finances if we're going to make any progression financially. So the bank, I I I created the bank account system. This goes back to NLP. I created the the bank account system from working with some clients of mine who were very good with money. So. The bank account system wasn't my, um, my brainchild, as it were. I modeled it. So part of NLP is modeling, finding people who are very good at something and taking their ideas and then make it your own. So the bank account system came from about five of my clients who were particularly good with money. Um, and what it simply is, is you have one bank account which covers all of your household bills and your income gets paid into that one account. And then from that account, you try to automate as much of your expenditure as possible. So you're taking routine thought, you're taking your everyday thought out of action. So it just happens by default. Okay. It, one of the reasons we want to do that is because your emotions are not constant. You'll have days when you're on a high and you're feeling really good. And you'll have days when you're feeling pretty low. And right now is a fantastic time to realize that, hey, yeah, my emotions are all over the place. So by taking your emotions out of the decision making, just automating it gives you a layer of protection. And you ask yourself with your payments, do I need this? Do I want this? Can I get a similar experience for less? Because I don't want you to put your life on hold until you achieve this freedom. I want you to enjoy the journey. But what I do want to do is make sure that you're not overspending or spending unnecessarily so that you can get to your destination quicker. So we want to reduce our expenditure as low as possible, but still enjoy the journey. Do not put life on hold. We don't know how many more tomorrows we've got. And before you know it, it's gone. Where are some of the, the key wastages that you see then amongst your clients or amongst new, new people wanting to learn? Man, honestly, there are so many. And it just varies on individual. You know, I, I, no, we overspend on the things that are important to us. Okay. Mm. Hey, hands up right now. 
I'm spending probably at least twice as much money as I normally do on wine. Okay, it's just, it's just the weather's good. I'm sitting out in the back garden. I'm not training as much as I usually do. I'm just enjoying the wine because I'm not going. And the justification I give myself, oh, yeah, but we're not going out for meals. You know, we're not going out for meals. So yeah. We can just double up on that. So, hey, we're human beings, okay? We're not, like, I'm not trying to sit here and preach and say to you, I've got it all sort of sorted, but there is a strategy here that does work. And I just follow the strategy. So the overspending areas, I used to have one lady who excessively spent, and I really do mean spent on shoes and clothes. Um, she was a head buyer for a big PLC. Um, and when we rationalized it with her, she really did understand that she kind of had a, a problem there, you know, spending. Uh, the lady I mentioned before who bought houses, you know, that was her outlet. She felt confident there. She had certainty there. So she bought houses. Um, but people spend overspending in all areas. I've got a rule of thumb. If you spend more money on your car than you do in your investments, then you're doing something wrong. And so many people spend more money on their car payment than they do invest for their future. I kind of feel you've got your balance the wrong way around. So that's a kind of a rule of thumb. But with your bills, you want to get them as low as possible. Now, one of those payments from your bills account is from yourself to yourself. So it goes from your bills account into your WAM account. I call it your WAM account because it's your walkabout money. It's the money you walk about with every day, okay? And you pay Can it- Can I walk about like George Michael? You can walk about like George Michael or John Wayne or uh, whoever. <laughs> but you pay it on a week, weekly on a Wednesday. You pay it weekly okay. on a Wednesday because you spend most of your money at the weekend. So you can pay money on the week, weekly on a Wednesday, and that is your general spending, and that pays for all your variable expenditure. So you've got your fixed. So you pay you pay yourself from from the bills account into the walkabout money account on a Wednesday every week. Yes. Weekly. In the can I, can I yeah. just quickly name that Wham Wednesdays? Hey, do you know what? I've never done that. I've done this hundreds of times, and that's really good. I like that Wham Wednesday. Warren, that'll be 150 quid, by the way. That's right. some creative. Yeah. 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 I like that. Invoice <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so Wednesday comes along. You transfer uh, an amount that you deem applicable that you think you'll need for the oh. weekend. So you can't get this until next oh, Wednesday. Not, okay. Okay. Not, not quite. Okay. Remember, okay. we automate as much as this as we can. So the decision is automated. So you set up a standing order from one account to the other. You don't get no, no routine thought involved. Just automate curves. And then it's in your account, so it's cleared funds. Now, we, why do we do it on a week? Why do we do it weekly? Because uh, I think on the Friday, the emotion to make the decision is, is way worse. It's way more out because it's like you're fueled to have a fun time. So therefore, you yeah. negotiate with yourself. I'm going to call it the, the wham negotiation voice, not as catchy as Ian's, I'd argue. Um, but that, <laughs> that negotiation voice, imagine it has a megaphone. On Wednesday, it's quite quiet. It's a little noise going, yay, savings, yeah, great. Yeah, like and then Friday, it comes along and it's a loud voice in your ear being like, but it should be £3,000, not 150 quid. It, additionally, <laughs> week, yeah, the, the weekly aspect, I mean, if you were to just put it all on, a, on the first Wednesday of the month, you're going to spend, you could spend that all, you know, within the first yeah. week as, as Ollie, got it. Ollie yeah. probably has, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah, that's it really. Okay. It's just, you got, it's, it. You got yeah. it. Yeah, you got it. It does come things. Definitely. Both of what you said is right. Um, weekly, because um, we want to get that dopamine boost. When you get money, you feel good. So you get that dopamine boost. You get feel good. So you get paid weekly. Friday night comes along, party night, Saturday night, out with your friends, maybe go down the pub or something, Sunday, bit of pub lunch. By Sunday, most people have spent most of their wham. 
But then you've only got Monday and Tuesday to get through before you get hit again with a dopamine boost. So the psychology there is that you're regularly getting this feedback of some money coming in. Um, if you paid it all at the beginning of the month, it's likely that it will go by week two, and then you start dipping back into your bills account, and it all sort of gets a bit messy. But paying yourself weekly the same amount every week on a Wednesday, and that pays for all your variable expenses, whether it's fuel in the car, getting your haircut, going out with your friends. Now, okay, so that's not just party money. That is that is everything else, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and in, in the although I don't like, I don't use the word budget. I, it's because I'm resisting it myself. The kind of budgeting parameters, the kind of ratios that you have in your income, are um, twenty, fifty, thirty. Okay, so if you look at your net income, if we said we earn a hundred pounds uh, in a month, twenty percent of that money should be saved or retained. So I'll go into what you do with it, but 20% of that money should be saved or retained. 50% of that money should be used to go to cover your overheads of your running of your house. So everything from your, your rent, your mortgage, to your um, uh, general bills, that kind of thing. And then 30% of that money is your WAM money. Okay. Okay, so 30% of that money is your WAM money. Um, so they are general parameters. Some people listening to this will say, oh, do you know what, that doesn't quite work for me. I'm not going to spend 30%. I only need 20 well, that's fine. Then you can maybe, if you've got overheads in your house a little bit higher, you live in a more expensive area, you can, you can tweak it. But as a general rule, when I've been working with clients, they tend to work about right. But the most important, and the reason why it's called 20, 50, 30, is that you retain some of the money you earn. Mm. So many people are on this conveyor belt of just money coming in, money going out. And they just think that money coming in is going to come in forever. But it comes in as long as you're willing to step up and go and earn it. And then one day you'll get tired and you're sick and you won't be able to. Well, I think I'm definitely on that conveyor. But I mean, I won't go into my personal situation too much. But I feel like, because oh, I have a business that I run that, um, I, by the way, Warren, I am probably the worst, I think, all this. Like, I, I, I overspend um, sometimes through ego, sometimes through boredom, sometimes, you know, loads, loads of different reasons. Um, but I've, I've got, I guess... My, I have like five different cards. So I have like a credit card, a current account, and then my business card. And my life is kind of wrapped up in, in a lot of that. So I think I'm still at step yeah. one of financial disarray yeah. and disorganization. Yeah. I definitely, I like the idea yeah, of, wham. Well, yeah. I can imagine getting on board with it. I just, I think what it would take is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a great way to start is your statements, is your bank account statement stuff. Just looking through them and saying, okay, let, let's just put them into categories. Uh, that goes with the house, that goes to the house, that goes to the house. Oh, that's spending money, that's wham, that's wham, that's wham. Um, so that's my groceries, that's my petrol, that's my going out, that's my takeaways, that kind of thing. And see how that, and then see how it sits, and then sort of look at ratios. Say, okay, well, that was 60%, or that's 80%, that's 20%. Um, and then try and, if, if you're currently spending 50% uh, of your money on wham, or 6% of your money on wham, to go from that right down to 30, it's like taking someone who's on 5,000 calories a day down to 1,800. You know, it's just not going to work straight away. you kind of got to ease yourself into this. And you've got to be kind to yourself. Right at the beginning, we spoke about NLP being the communication language. The longest that uh, conversation you'll ever have will be with yourself. You know, be nice to yourself. Be nice to yourself. And you won't get this, unlikely, straight away 100% on day one. But that's okay. You know, as long as you're making progress towards it, as long as you're better tomorrow than you were today, and then you're improving a bit more, that's the secret of success. And that's the long term success. And that's why I call it the money plan, because it's a plan. It's not a quick fix. It's this is the plan that I want you to work towards for the rest of your life um, so that you can oh, adopt. Oh. Sorry. 
Please finish. That's I'm okay. terrible at that one. Sorry. Sensible... No, that's okay. Just adopt sensible money habits. That's it. I think, um, yeah, it's something I'm definitely taking out of this, and that's why the NLP aspect is really interesting. Is is your structure there? You already, you know. Ollie and I are both guilty of it. You're, you can put a lot of shame and a lot of guilt on yourself with these kind of, you yeah. know, with with your financial yeah. pressures. And I think your structure allows for that that for that shame period to be very very uh, small, like you said, because you you can spunk your wham on a Friday night, yeah. but you know what, you can just eat very very minimally for the next few days, and you've got another wham again. So your 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 shame Absolutely. bracket's very small, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know. Don't even call it your shame bracket. If you want to go and blow your money on a night out, creating memories and laughter and friendship and stuff like that, hey, that's fine. Because you've got base one covered, you're saving 20%, and all your household bills are covered. That's fine. Mm. The challenge you just can't eat now is, for the next three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge comes is when you spend other people's money. And that's when it comes down to credit cards. And there's a general rule of thumb. I don't recommend people use credit cards. I think debit cards are fine. They, 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 work, they work sufficiently well enough. I think if you are an individual who is not particularly good with money, then credit cards are like putting alcohol in an alcoholic's house or a chocoholic in the chocolate in the fridge of a chocoholic, that kind of thing. It's just, you know, you could get through it, you could do it, but sometimes it's best just to take the temptation away. Wow. That's, I mean, I'm in the habit of just having a standing order that comes out that pays off my American Express every month. Um, yep. But sometimes that, that it just plunged. I basically, I don't think I've ever lived not in my overdraft. So I'll, I'll okay. pay my American Express from my current account every month without fail. Yeah. Uh, but it would still take me like to minus two grand or whatever it is. Sure. And then I'll just yeah. live, with, live within that. Uh, it's weird that, isn't it? I just thought, and that's become yeah. normality for me. It- I, I know, and, and that's acceptable to you. And that's fine. No one should tell you that's wrong. But if you want to make decisions financially, if you want your, you know, how do you want to live the rest of your life? If this is how you want to do it, then there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think anyone should tell someone you shouldn't do that. But if you said to me, hey, George Warren, this time next year, I'd like £10,000 in savings, then we'd say, okay, well, what needs to happen for you to achieve that? You know, it's about... I'm really, I'm really like... Go on, sorry, mate. I've done it again. Go. <laughs> no, no, no. You're okay. No, uh, please. It's, it, I was going to say, it's, you know, it's just what's going to happen. What needs to happen for you to achieve that? You just got to take different decisions. If we do the same thing every single time, we'll get the same result. So we just have to do things like differently. But if we do a hundred and eighty degree turn, it's a bit harder. You know, be kind to yourself. Edge yourself into this a little bit. If you are spending two thousand pounds. Well, maybe trim it back to eighteen hundred or seventeen hundred. That isn't the right target, but you do that for a month or two, and then trim it back a little bit further, and just gradually ease yourself into the new program. Ollie, what were you going to say? I was going to say, well, no, that, that that's really helpful. What what? So okay, we we get through this next stage. Then, but how do you? How does this kind of plan finish up then? So three, four, and five. What what, what are the next okay. steps? Okay, so uh, step three is the basic is the ha- what we I, I refer to the house of wealth. Okay, so step three is financial foundations or the house of wealth. And the house of wealth was put together many years ago. I used to do lots of financial seminars to try and communicate to people the complex world of money. Okay, because when you come into financial services, I think sometimes financial advisors uh, almost get off on making things sound more complex than they need to. And it's not necessary. They're just trying to make themselves look good. So with the house of wealth, we look at the financial foundations and there are eight financial foundations. 
Three are essential, which I think everyone needs to have. Five are optional. So the three essential ones are emergency cash. We all need some cash in the bank. Just like you said at the beginning, we need some money, rainy day fund to get us through this. Um, As a general rule of thumb, we say between three and six months of your expenditure. Now, um, if you have unsecured debt, we like you to repay that debt now first. So we say a thousand pounds, get the debt paid off, and then then save up between three and six months of your expenditure. Uh, I think everybody needs a will, okay? Not necessarily if you don't have assets, but you just leave a mess behind for other people to clear up if you don't. And I think everybody needs lasting power of attorney. So lasting power of attorneys are legal documents that you can arrange yourself through the Office of Public Guardian. And basically they just say, who can make decisions on my behalf if I lose capacity? Who do I trust to make those decisions? Because just because you're married, it doesn't fall to your spouse. It doesn't go to your mum. You have to appoint someone. So I think, although they're quite boring, I think those three things are essential. You know, tall buildings are built on strong foundations. It's just the case. And then the five optional ones, I don't think everyone needs these, but they're things people would consider, are disability or income protection. So if you can't work through an accident, am I going to get paid? Life assurance. So if actually if I die, do I have to pay my debts off? Do I need some, leave some money behind for the people who are dependent on me? Critical illness cover, medical insurance, and then general insurances like travel, car, and home insurance. So they're five optional ones that some people say, hey, do you know what? I don't want any of those. I don't like insurances. I carry the risk. And I have other clients who say, yeah, we need to insure my income. Um, I need to have, make sure there's some life insurance place. And do you know what? Although the NHS are amazing, I just want to take a bit of strain off them. I'm going to take a bit of uh, policy out myself to get privately covered. Um, so they're just through okay. choice. I think the first three are essential. Yeah. Um, nice. That seems pretty clear. And then what, what was step four? Okay. And step four is uh, the debt repayment. So most people have unsecured debt and I want them to be debt-free. So we clear their unsecured debt first. And there's different ways you can do this, but the way that we tend to advocate is using the snowball approach. And that's what I go through in the book. And if you go to my website, warrantshoot.com, there's spreadsheets on there you can download, fill in all your figures. Um, The snowball approach basically says you list all your debts in debt size order with the smallest debt first, go through to the largest debt. We then try and get low interest rates on these. So if you're paying a high rate, particularly on the big debts, we want to try and get a low rate. And right now is a fantastic time to try and get low interest rates. And then we aggressively attack with that 20%. Remember I say, you say 20%, right? Your ratio is 20, 50, 30. With that 20%, we aggressively attack the smallest debt and we get that paid off. Once that's paid off, we roll over the payments onto the next smallest debt. And that's why it's called the snowball. We roll it through. And the spreadsheet, which you can get on my website, shows you the debt balance decreasing over time. What happens if you increase your snowball? What happens if you increase ad hoc payments? We want you to be unsecured debt-free. That means credit cards, overdrafts, all that gone. That's really, I think I've, I like that. I like that you said the smallest debt first, because I think this is the barrier that everyone gets to. They see a 10 grand credit yeah. card they've not paid off and go, oh, there's no point. What's, what's, you know, what's 100 quid yeah. a month going to do? It, but really, yeah. and, and then the, the, the anxiety snowball will build because it will be that 11 grand debt, that Topshop card that's, yeah. you know, two grand. And then all the small ones, you just forget, they all, I guess, amount into a huge one. Um, but you're right, it, I, I, like, I like the yeah. smaller first. <laughs> It's psychology. It's psychology. We just want to get a win. We want this dopamine around our body. We want to, we want to feel good. People want to be happy. We want to be feel good. Why don't we go out and have a bander on a Saturday night or something? Because we have fun. We laugh. And mm-hmm. if it's going to take me a year to pay off my first debt, you've got to be pretty motivated to do that. 
Okay, so we want to feel good. So by paying the smallest debt off first, hey, I've achieved something. I've got a quick win. That's great. I've now got more confidence, more motivation to go on to my second debt and pay that one down. And then the snowball continues. Uh, is that yeah? It's it's a great point. I think your approach and the way you communicate is very much what we try to be in the sense that we don't want to preach and tell people to do things. I like how you do yeah. that. But in with with this um with this point, what can you kind of guarantee to people that they they'll feel uh, when they do start uh, trying to pay off their debts as opposed to just plodding along and and buying um you know things off Amazon and materialistic objects which they they believe might you know, tick some sort of uh, dopamine fix, but but what can you kind of guarantee to those once they start, um, you know, ticking off their, their, their debts? How, how can people start to feel? The, the, the greatest achievement anyone can ever make is by achieving a goal. And if you've ever set a goal, however small, and accomplished it, the self-satisfaction and pride that comes from that is just uplifting. You walk taller, you look... You, Look younger, you smile. And by setting yourself a target and working towards it and achieving that feels great. So if you're a graduate, for example, you know, how you felt on graduation day after you've actually finished, you look back at all the slogging that you went through and all the work you did, all the late nights and stuff, and you actually thought, do you know what? I've accomplished this. I feel good for this. And the same can feel, the, you can feel the same by paying your debt down. Although repaying your debt doesn't have as much excitement, that's why we have it as a plan, as part of the structure. You still get your WAM money. You're still going out. You're still having a good time. You know your bases are covered. Your house isn't going to be repossessed as long as you make sure you have 50% is in place. And you've got this 20%. Okay, you could possibly pay it off sooner if you put more money towards that. But you could lose late quicker if you didn't ever eat anything. You know, it's, you've got to survive. You've got to have fun. So it's about the journey. And being kind to yourself during the journey allows you to stay on that program. That's and then, brilliant. I mean, that's really helpful. So the debt-free thing, I think, is a big part of, um, of what I wanted to get. I, th- I think I've got a good understanding of that. And again, people can head to the website for that stuff. Yeah, so, so the fifth step, what's the fifth, uh, step, what's the fifth step? The fifth step is wealth creation. The fifth step is wealth creation. So what I did mention on the house of wealth, we've got the foundations, and then we have three levels after it. We have financial security, we have financial independence, and then financial freedom. So if you imagine a picture of a house, like you would draw as a child, Along the bottom, you've got your eight financial foundations that you just covered, and then across at three different levels, it's a three-story house, you have financial security, independence, and freedom. Now, we defined financial security when your unsecured debt is repaid and you have your three- to six-month emergency fund. Once you have that in place, we say, tick, hey, congratulations, you're financially secure. And then we define financial independence is when you've got enough capital resources it would generate you an income to meet your general living expenses. Now, we don't define that. We allow that to be loose so people can define it. Because we don't want to be dictatorial. We want people to create this and take ownership themselves. And then we say financial freedom. What was this one? Sorry, this was an in- independence. Independence, yeah. Financial independence. So you're independent of having to work to pay your bills. That's really where it comes from. So you're independent. So you've got enough financial resources, so enough capital invested, so that the income generated from that is sufficient to meet your general living expenses. And then the top level, the, the ultimate level we aim for, is financial freedom. When you have enough capital generated, that the income generated from that capital meets all your desired expenditure. So either your current or your planned, your desired expenditure. Wow. So I guess that would look like five, maybe having a couple of properties that pay for everything else, right? If you looked at it and... 
in that sort uh, of way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we, we look at we we're not we're not huge property investors. Okay, um, there's there's a whole bunch of reasons, but um, if you said, for example, you needed a thousand pounds a month to cover your household bills, okay, so we're looking at independence, you'd need about three hundred thousand pounds of capital to generate that. Okay, so we're talking. It's called the rule of three hundred. Whatever income you need, multiply a month, multiply by three hundred, you get the capital value. So let's say, for example, you want two and a half thousand pounds a month coming in to create your freedom level. You'll be looking around about seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds of capital. And what that simply comes from is seven hundred fifty thousand pounds of capital with a four percent income, which is generally the sustainable withdrawal level from a capital, um, would generate your um, thirty thousand pounds a year. Interesting. Oh, that is very interesting. Uh, that's broken down, I think, okay. that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, that used to go on about this, but in a really American sort of way. Um, but it, it just shows you that's like the... Okay. I always imagine it. I don't know if you ever played that or watched that game, Total Wipeout. But you know when they've gone through all the fucking obstacles and they've like hit things, they've nearly fallen off, and, they're not, and then they whack that little checkpoint at the end and everything stops and they're yeah. kind of like... They, it's just their time then that gets, yeah, that gets yeah, yeah, read yeah, to yeah, them. Okay. That, that moment feels <laughs> like then. <laughs> no more obstacles are in your way. You've done it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> can, can I uh, can I ask that? I think that's. I really liked how we went through that and with the five steps. I was just. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking. So, say for example, somebody that's now, um, you know, probably say like late twenties. The debts are looking good. You know, they're, they're starting to be paid off. Where where should where should we look to start thinking about how we can create um, a, another income source? What what are some that you recommend? Okay. How do we? How can we start to look to make make our, our money that, we, that that we've got from say our salaries or, or whatever? How, how can we start to invest that? Where, where's a good place that you recommend to start? Uh, okay. So investing, um, the two only two sites really that I would recommend. One would be my own site, Lexo. So I've got a site called Lexo.co.uk. It put together about ten portfolios that uh, my clients would invest in, and the second one would be Vanguard. Uh, Vanguard's another new name to the UK market. The reason being for that is they're both evidence-based investment solutions. The thing that really annoys me in the UK is funds are sold like commodities. So a fund would be sold as if it's something you can just pick up and put down. It's not, it's an investment. You're buying companies. You're buying into the fundamentals of an individual company like Apple or Microsoft or something. And it should, they shouldn't be fun, uh, sold like that. You've got some online sites selling funds like the best of, the best of British, the best of international. That is just such BS. And what frustrates me is you've got um, uninformed investors looking at these people saying, oh, you're regulated. You must be doing the right thing. I trust you. I'll buy it. And then they get stung. And it's just not the way to go. Really what you want is you want to keep it very, very simple, globally diversified, so invest all over the world because we don't know whether America is going to be the best out of this uh, corona crisis or whether it's going to be the Far East or Europe. Um, and you want to take as much equity risk, you know, there's much money in the stock market, is you can comfortably afford. And as a general rule of thumb, these are generalizations, we normally say 100 minus your age. So if you're in your, let's say you're 30, you'd be about 70% in the stock market, something like that. Cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's I think, the part that, uh, that could be quite confusing. I think we've been hardwired maybe to purely invest into... Uh, property and I mean I, I yeah. don't know do you know St James's uh, St James um, those St James's guys? place yeah. yeah yeah is that what yeah. what what kind of yeah. investment is that is that like 
Is that okay? So, okay, so it wouldn't be fair for me to criticise St James's Place specifically, but let me just talk as a generalisation. There are two ways to invest money in the stock market. One is through active management, and that's when you pay a fund manager to try and beat the shares, try and beat the index by buying and selling shares. And the other way is through buying the index or buying all the shares in the market and just holding on to them. Okay. There is so much academic research been published from either uh, the London School of Business or in the US at Chicago University that you really it's so difficult to consistently beat the index. Fund managers just don't do it. So yeah. although they like to tell you do, they do, consistently over time after their charges, they rarely, rarely do it. Um, and that's why Warren Buffett, who's one of the richest investors in the world, has left his estate to an S&P 500 index fund when he dies. Um, there's a guy called Ray Dalio, who's a big hedge fund manager. He just uses index funds for the bulk of his um, uh, foundation money. So, you know, it's, it's, don't get wrong, they're not exciting. And it's not supposed to be exciting. You get your excitement from the weekend having fun or even from your business. This is investing. It's just money you park and put away and you want it to grow and compound grow over time. Okay, that's fair enough. I want to make sure we can get, okay. get enough. No, that's really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, I, I also want to make sure we can, I guess, speak about today a bit more. Um, the, yeah. This is mental. And, I, and Warren, I know that it's going to be pretty hard for you to make any predictions here. But I think uh, we're looking for any educated uh, advisory <laughs> and whatever. And I think... There is possibility here. There's definite opportunity for entrepreneurs, for sure. Um, but I guess I just wanted yeah, to ask, yeah. well, you know, it's, it's impossible to say when or how this is going to finish. But when, you know, when we do come to uh, this lockdown period and whatever, what would you be doing if you were sort of starting out now? And okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay, there are three things at play here. There's the virus, there's the stock market, and then there's the economy. Okay. So what you've got is the virus. So the virus is um, in, in, in where, are, where are we now? Uh, end, end of April, in most parts of the world, it, in developed world, it seems to be coming under control due to the uh, social distancing, okay? And it's very likely that the constraints will be released slowly to see whether there's going to be another peak. And then we're really relying on things like vaccines and stuff to try and prevent the spread of the virus continuing any further. But the virus numbers in the developed world were, are nowhere near as bad as they originally forecast they were going to be. Um, a good example of that is if you look at the number of beds on the um, Nightingale hospitals, there are 4,000 beds or so. I think we're under 50 um, being used late, late 20s. So the virus, as we're talking today, in my view, is being controlled. It's not quite as bad as we originally forecast it to be. So then you look at the stock market. The stock market won't recover until the virus is under control. And what we've seen is the stock market now for the last couple of weeks started recovering. Mm -hmm. So we're now seeing a recovery in the markets because the markets are forward pricing. The markets are always looking ahead and saying, okay, what information have I got available to me? Is this virus going to wipe everyone out and going to decimate everything? Or is there going to be a recovery? And we're seeing the markets now recover. So although the markets are recovering, which is obviously a good sign, we won't see the economy recover for some time, I'm afraid. Um, and that's because so many small businesses are going to be affected by this. Um, and we've got the likes of Facebook and stuff saying we're not going to do um, groups of 50 people or more until June 2021. Um, that's going to have a knock-on effect. And I think if you're in uh, travel, hospitality, 
it's going to be harder effect, affected than if you're in technology, for example. So there are different segments of the economy that will recover quicker or slower, depending on what you do. But as a entrepreneur, as a business owner, there's a fantastic opportunity to pivot your business model and say, what needs to happen for me to do this? So if you look at the likes of um, uh, the delivery, so Uber, Uber Eats, um, Liveroo, Just Eat, all these companies are going to be doing tremendously well because so many people are going to be ordering takeaways and getting delivered in. Mm. Um, if you look at technology companies, particularly technology companies are going through the roof. They're doing really, really well because so many people, you know, my mum, who's 80 years old, now uses Zoom. So it's like, <laughs> you know, Zoom's becoming a household name. Yeah. So it's not all bad news. There are segments in the market that are going to do particularly well. Um, you've got, um, uh, I think it's uh, Ginelled and Mondera, who are pharmaceutical companies building sort of vaccines and treatments for the virus, um, who are going to do particularly well if they come to market. So there are segments of the market that are going to excel and do well. And it's just looking to say, okay, how is this going to, put, how is this going to play out? Yeah. But you're right, is there the anything, new world won't be the same as it is at the moment. No, and I, and I was going to speak about that. If we could, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on, on exactly what will change. Is there any, I've, I've got this thing at the moment where I ask people, change uh, what will, what won't, and what should, which is more of a sort of moral thing, like what should change about humanity. Loads of weird answers come back from that. But is there anything that you think definitely will change and anything that you think definitely won't? I think the, the, the challenge we have is, as humans, go back to you, we are creatures of habit. Now, the longer this lockdown goes on, the more that habit is being forced to be broken. Okay, so the longer it goes on, the more likely life will be different afterwards. Um, what will change? I think a lot of um, corporate travel will change. I don't think people will be flying across to Europe and the States just to do business meetings anymore, um, a lot of more teleconferences and stuff. Um, I, I think people will assess their life differently, particularly in the beginning. And if that get, has to have a good success of that, they'll keep that going. So I think people are less likely to be um, slave to their career. E e even the sort of the older generation, they might reassess it and say, hey, you're not, you know, life, life's too short. I want to do, do, this, do this differently. And I think certainly until the um, um, vaccine is available, large groups um, getting together um, will certainly will change. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think you're going to see large gatherings for over a year now. I think one thing that I think won't, it's funny because if you look at flight travel, I, I agree and I don't agree in some senses because I imagine if like an agency or um, uh, an engineering firm is pitching for a piece of business and we say, oh, no, it's right, we can do it all over Zoom, the, the agency or the engineering firm or whoever it is that is pitching in competition with them will always try and beat them by flying over there um, and give them the sort of personal touch. I feel like we're going to see maybe weird things like that happening where people go back to the old way, but also embrace the new. I, I guess overall we'll, we'll see yeah. it, it will go down, maybe. On, on that one specifically, I think it absolutely has to change, though, because if, if the, we, before this happened, I think we've forgotten about how, um, you know, how, how much yeah. a breaking point we were with climate change and, and that yeah. topic. So the, the thought now of how useless humans are when it comes yeah. to actually just... I mean, I, I'll be honest, I've flown a plane to go for an hour completely point, pointless meeting in Amsterdam. And, you know, th th these things are just pointless. There's no yeah. point to do that. I, I understand in your in some special cases, mm. Olive, it's like pitching business, 
you know, making money. But if it's like just, you know, the same company just meeting their their fellow employees over the country, of course, you know, it's great. It's great to connect with people like that. But we're going to have to sacrifice those sort of connections. I think this is, Warren makes a good point. I think this has really shown us um, the pointlessness in, in some business trips in, in, in that case. Definitely. Anything uh, you, you got technology? Go on. Technology will support this change as well. You wait and see um, hologram meetings. So literally yeah, our definitely. holograms will appear in an office in California or something to do the pitching for us and stuff. And it will just get it will technology and the human desire to progress is amazing. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah. How, how is your um, how, how do you think your life has changed or or? Or it might be a bit personal, but how do you no, see no, this no, changing no. your life going forward? It, it, it's really interesting. So I run an office with five staff. Um, the office is next to my house. It's in the garden uh, in the front of my house. And uh, obviously all my staff are working remotely. And um, everyone's safe. Everyone's okay. And I actually quite like it. I actually really like it. It's, it's a lot calmer, a lot quieter. Um, I'm still having I have a meeting pretty much every day. I'm still having my meetings every day using Zoom. And um, I'm still keeping in touch with clients, and my day's pretty full. Um, but it just seems a lot slower pace. It just seems a little bit more considered. Um, things are taking longer um, to get things done when we contact people because everyone's working remotely. Things are taking longer, but I think that will speed up through efficiencies, so we get things sorted. But um, so yeah, you know, for for me, still consistently busy. But it just seems at slightly slower pace. I think reevaluating. So, for example, the weather's good. My kids are homeschooled. My wife's at home. I go and sit in the garden and have lunch with them rather than just sort of grabbing a sandwich and getting back on the emails or something. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, that, that does feel like everyone, the, the consistent feedback has been that everyone prefers, enjoys the pace. I just wonder if, it's, if, if mm. there is a, a, any ability in us being able to return back to society with that carrying on. Because uh, I, I feel like, you know, we speak about the, the, the economy recovering. If you think about that on a microcosmic level, that means the people around the corner from you are going to be doing double the hours in hairdressing. You know, the butchers, whoever has been closed, are going to have to work double as hard. So it almost feels like when things are lifted back, we're going to go through a bit of a, a mania phase uh, of everybody sort of being the, re- the reverse of, of a slow down pace. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, there'll be a bit of a flurry where some people... But I don't think there will be, because I think once lockdown's gone out, you'll have some people who'll say, no, it's too early. I don't want to go out yet. Yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, our, our, our children get this, the, a train to school, and we're always thinking, do we want them on the train as soon as lockdown's mm. lifted? You know, is there an alternative way of them getting there to start off with because it's public transport? So um, I think you'll have people who are um, chomping at the bit to get out and socialise and just say the government's taking too long. And you'll have the other people who are sort of saying, actually, I think they're doing it too quickly. So we might, might you know, naturally phase into themselves. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it's, it's really helpful. I think um, thank you again for sort of outlining the different industries that will be exciting to get involved in. It certainly feels like if you are currently in a position where whatever you do is completely ground to a halt in, in travel, travel or whatever, it is a brilliant time to see how transferable your skills are to things that are booming at the moment because yeah. they'll need you more than ever. So, yeah, finger, you know, fingers crossed that we do come out of this mm-hmm. and it's an economic re- revival as well. Um, yeah, wonderful. Exactly. I mean, f- for me, that's been really, really helpful. Um, I love the first half of this. It was great yeah. to get fully stuck into the money plan as well. Uh, I feel like I've been financially educated, yeah. but I've been like tempted into this. Um, and I think I might have to follow up with uh, with, with a direct <laughs> phone call to say, can you sort my shit out, please, Ron? Because 
I like the sound of the game, but I haven't got the football. <laughs> uh, but no, I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and giving us this time. Um, Ian, is, is, is there anything from you, mate, that you want to sort of... No, I echo that. I've been really, really, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. It's, it's been a great episode. I think it's, I think it's um, very tangible and it will help a lot of people, um, you know, like myself and Ollie, who are, are not good at this. Um, there's a lot of people our age who are not good at this. And I think it is, like you said, it's a journey. And I feel like this is a really good, good first step to take. And I'll definitely um, be looking to, to implement the learnings that I've personally got from this. So, yeah, I appreciate it. And I really like how you don't, yeah, you're not. You're very careful not to throw it in people's faces. Say you should be doing this, and you don't threaten yeah. people with, you know, the negativity that could happen if you don't, um, if you don't consider this. So I think, uh, yeah, it's been really present. I've I've enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you. you. Awesome. Well, now, look, let's. Question um, I've got, for, question I've got for Ian, real quick one. Ian, did you ping your wristband at all during the, the, the conversation? <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> uh, no, do you know what? I I actually felt ah oh, this wristband. Um, is useless because I only think positive things. <laughs> <laughs> so he pinged it across the room. <laughs> so it's gone. It's gone. I love that. Oh, by the way, Warren, we didn't ask you actually, and you can be as brief or as quick, but um, we've got a stock question that we always ask about, uh, I guess, advice that you give to your former self, but I feel like you've, you've got it all nailed. So what I want to ask you is... Um, if you had a, a megaphone and a room full of 21-year-olds um, who are about to embark on their professional and, and personal life, um, what advice would you give them if you had under, under a minute? Uh, what, what would you say? Or you can be in 10 seconds or it can be one. Um, what would you say to a group of 21-year-olds uh, if they were standing in the room with them? Uh, you, you know, it's really interesting because my, son, my son's 15 and my daughter's 13, so mm. I kind of try and inspire them and give them little things. I think the biggest thing I would give tell anyone is don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of failing because that's how you learn. That's how you develop. You know, grow and, and just give it your all. Find out what you really, really want to do in life. Don't go down the path that you've been told you've got to go down. Find out what really makes you happy and then excel at it. Just do whatever it takes to make it successful. Nice. Lovely. That's a great way to I love that. Wow. Okay, nice. Don't be afraid of failing. Yes. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at the Dog Days Pod. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. And we'll see you next week. It's not a heat wave. These are the dog days. It's not a heat wave.